0: For some people, if you think about the word negotiation, it might bring to mind a negative connotation, the idea that metaphorically, or perhaps even literally, I'm going up to a table, and there's things that I want, and I'm going to have to go through some sort of communication to basically get some of what I want— but not all of it. And it's interesting. I ran an unofficial experiment after the conversation that you're about to listen to. My guest this week is Sarah Fetterman. She's an associate professor of conflict resolution at the University of San Diego's Croc School of Peace Studies. And the book, Transformative Negotiation, is the topic this week. And it's where I ask these people what's your perception of negotiation? And of the 10 random people that I selected who I saw online, 7 of the 10 had a bit of a negative expectation of what that would mean. To which I look at this as a word really much in the same category as influence and persuasion, which is the fact that all communication, by definition, is influential. All communication is persuasive. And the Reverse negative on this is that you cannot not communicate, you cannot not persuade, you cannot not influence. So the reality is you're always doing it, whether you realize it or not. And this is the interesting aspect of this because a lot of Sarah Fetterman's background is in the category of things. I first met her when we were both in the Washington, D.C. area. It's in the category of things involving politics and governments. And what's interesting is the application that she's gone into because the subtitle for the book, Strategies for Everyday Change and Equitable Futures. So this is one that recently received the 2023 Porchlight Best Business Book Award winner, and it's a contemporary guide to negotiation that centers an understanding of power. So pay special attention to this, because on some levels, it's how to excel in your business, it's how to work better with business partners, There's the interesting story where her husband negotiated their new home before she knew about it, (laughs) as well as a beautiful example of negotiating with everyone's good friend, the Internal Revenue Service. That's right, the IRS. So here we go. This is transformative negotiation with Sarah Fetterman, and you can check out the show notes of this week's episode to see exactly how to check out the book and learn more about Sarah's work by heading over to attractpresoldclients.com forward slash Twenty-one. Here we go. Transformative Negotiation. Here's the hard truth. People are conditioned to ignore your marketing message. Most of the stuff you'd create doesn't get read, doesn't get watched, and ultimately, nobody buys from it. I'm Jason Lynette, and I'm here to help you stop being the best-kept secret to the people you know you can help. If you're a business owner, and if you're ready to cut through the overwhelm of launching something that creates massive impact and brings in an awesome income, you are in the right place. Welcome to Attract Pre-Sold Clients.
1: We teach those things. Actually, I'm at the Croc School of Peace Studies in San Diego, so we actually have classes on those different things, which is great, except for persuasion, actually. We have a mark. Actually, we have persuasion, too. So mediation, we teach it like bringing two people together or groups together, and you're serving as a mediator in between these groups and helping them find their solutions. So there's various ways of doing that depending on the conflict. So you're sort of as a mediator, you're in between two two people or, or several groups. When you're Negotiating, we're teaching negotiating. We're teaching people how to actually engage with another person or with a group to get to mutually satisfying ends that ideally also improve the lives of others affected by those decisions. And then persuasion, we have a socially conscious marketing program that does that. So it's more about how to persuade people and tell stories that are compelling and so on. So, one is sort of speaking to an audience that you're not face-to-face with or that you're not engaging with back and forth. Maybe that one way. Yeah. But a negotiation, of course, includes persuasion, as does mediation. So persuasion is a skill that's useful in all of those.
0: And I'm always interested to look at it from the angle of what's the categorization of this versus that. And something that I'd add to that is, and of course, we're recording audio right now, so you can hear the air quotes that I'm making right now with my fingers, Mm -hmm. that (laughs) I'm always talking about the conversations that we're generating with our potential audiences. And even if it's a podcast that I'm doing solo, even if it's a live stream and I'm just the only one on camera, we've got to think of it as that conversation because otherwise it then just reeks of this is only presentational this is not something Mm -hmm. that's personalized to the audience sarah i'd love to rewind the story back though and just what was the what's the story of getting into this where did the fascination with mediation and negotiation come in
1: yeah, I actually never really liked negotiation myself. It just felt <laughs> so sort of awkward. And maybe you're doomed to teach, you know, what you most need to learn. Like there we go. Like <laughs> that might be what's happening to me. But when I got my first academic job, they had me teach negotiation because I'd had a business career. Even though my degree was in conflict resolution more broadly, they're like, listen, you've done business, you've negotiated, go for it. And I was teaching in Baltimore, which is, for those who know, it's, it's a predominantly Black city. Most of my students were Black. Some were Nigerian. Some were from other places in the world. And a few from the United States were white. But the kinds of questions they were having, the needs, that the spaces they were navigating, and the challenges were so different than I had experienced or than I had learned in my negotiation training. And I thought, Let's do something different together. And that sort of became little by little led to the book.
0: Yeah. And let's go into that then. So from the business side of things, and and I love that kind of example of where you were the unicorn. You came in with a different set of skills from the education that you had. What was what was the career path on the business side?
1: I had worked in in advertising, but largely media planning, first in Manhattan in that kind of those who would watched Ad Men, like I worked on Madison Avenue in advertising and then they sent me to Canada and then they sent me to France and then I was all around the world working with companies like Google and Bloomberg and ad agencies and meeting with them and working on some of their challenges and selling them different software. So I was sort of in this totally different field in a way than than what I do now, but it really exposed me to so so much of the world, which I'm so grateful for.
0: And what would you say would be the skills that, came from that to the where you just brought us, where now you're in Baltimore at this point in the story, and working with people from all different backgrounds how did that how did that influence that next step for you?
1: Well, thank goodness one of the things you do learn having to to sell things is that you just can't give up you just have to keep changing your strategy right and it's like all right, this isn't working so What 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 I did learn take from my business background was like okay you just got to keep shifting and finding what's gonna work and and even if you have to do something crazy and maybe that doesn't sound so crazy but I in some ways turned the class over to the students like I framed it and I took them through but I had them coach each other because the conversations they were navigating were so different than the ones I had had the rules were really different what was at stake was really different so I wondered if even teaching them the great strategies I had learned, and the many books I had read, and, and trainings I had had, would even be unethical in some situations because it actually just might backfire in their context. So I began to understand context isn't just understanding like how Japanese run in a business meeting versus New Yorkers, I and mean, that's one level of context. But then there's a whole other level of context: people who are, you know, navigating urban violence or trying to navigate court systems, and so on.
0: You just mentioned something there about the flexibility of it, and so much of. Effective communication is that willingness to be flexible and you know, cautious always around this phrasing that if someone in a sales journey were to say no, it's not just that they're saying no. Sometimes that's the easiest and most polite thing to say, perhaps in the same way that others would label the, oh, I can't afford that. It's not the right time as objection. Sometimes there's just the revelation that. The person is reaching for the nicest way to phrase it at that point. Mm-hmm. In those moments where, let's say, a strategy is not working, what kind of mindsets, what kind of adjustments do you tend to recommend to keep with that? You know, I, I refer to it as tenacity, to keep with that drive to stay in the process in a respectful way versus going, oh, that didn't work, I'm out.
1: Yeah. So, my father, in contrast, had a business and loved negotiation. So when I would get no's, he would, and I'd be like, oh, I just got another no. He would laugh and say, ah, oh, the conversation has begun. <laughs> and I'm like, begun? The person said no. Like I was taught when someone says no, they mean no, right? Like back away, you know? That's what no is no. And in a business context or when you're engaging with somebody, it's when you get curious. And so what it requires is actually being willing to be uncomfortable a little bit longer, if you can do that, <laughs> and get curious, like, what is the no about? Because if you can help the under help understand the other person and they feel that you truly want to understand, like, oh, just so let me know. Like, is there something wrong with my product? Is it timing? Is it this? Is it that? And so I started to keep notes. Like, what was the no about? And when I was able to resolve the no, I called them back, right? Or something, maybe it was timing, their other contract wasn't up or. But it, it was uncomfortable at first to have to call people back to find out like, why did you say no to me? Or, <laughs> we wanted sometimes we just want to crawl away when we hear the no. So those people who do the opposite because it's so uncomfortable and so rare, I that's what I see is those are the people who move ahead.
0: Well, part of that, as you mentioned, it's doing the opposite. It's responding in a way that doesn't kind of line up with that automatic expectation. That doesn't, especially on the sales side, doesn't feel like I'm now running another sales strategy. Doesn't feel like I'm now trying to just coerce the sale.
1: Yeah. Oh, I mean that just doesn't work. I don't, I mean, <laughs> it didn't work for me. I don't know. It may people are very successful in all kinds of ways, and I do think you have to work with your personality but i my experience has been and i think the way i was able to connect with my students like i had a really different background we should not have been able to connect right but i do think when people feel respected yes and that so respect and respect really matters cared about but cared about not in a patronizing way not like i care about you like i'm here to help you cuz you're broken but like i care about yourself as much you know you as i care about myself or like that that's present People tend to respond to that, and but yeah, you know, you have to have to mean it, uh, and listening. I mean, I don't know the last time you went to the doctor's office, but like you have about fifteen seconds to get it out, you know, and like say whatever you have to say because then they're off, you know. And if you can listen more, in a and and be present in this age of distraction, you're already giving people care. You're already giving them respect. So that listening can be so powerful.
0: And. I'm just putting a clap there. Your microphone, you're a little too close to the microphone oh, okay. and I'm getting a popping sound So just, I've learned to give them, I should have warned you of that. <laughs> I'll give the clap again and that'll just show them where to come back into it because we'll okay. crop it in a way that it just comes in as regular conversation then, which- uh, Is this better? Talk again?
1: Is this, is this much more-
0: Yeah, that's much heavy? better. Yeah. Okay. Or maybe split the difference somewhere between the two and then we've got it. Like right here? Perfect. Nailed it. Okay. Here we go. So- So you mentioned listening, and I'd put that into the category of calibration. And this is something that in many ways, the business world kind of ruined years ago with the category of rapport, that the idea that if I sit like you, if I use your words, it's going to unconsciously convince you to like me when instead the origin of that was more so about how do I step into your model of the world? How do I step into your understanding to then move the conversation, move the dialogue into a much better direction? So any tips in terms of opening up that listening and truly being in the present with people so that then we can move it to a resourceful outcome?
1: Yeah, I think maybe one of the gifts I learned by teaching in Baltimore is that I couldn't mimic my students and I looked so different. There was no <laughs> way I was going to mimic anything. To, there was you know what I mean? I couldn't I couldn't be in their world in that way. So I think one of the things that I that I found very powerful and the students who did this found very powerful is they would just ask questions of someone in their life And anyone listening can practice this. You you know, it's great to practice when you're not you're not doing it with someone that you're kind of trying to have a business interaction with, but just to understand their model of the world. Like they bring to you something that didn't go right or they're struggling with. But don't ask leading questions. Just like, what was that like? What did you say? What did they say? Like, what was your reaction to that? What did that remind you of? And you start to see their world, right? And and how they make sense of things and then if they do ask for your advice or you do want to offer something, you know how it's going to land in theirs versus just assuming, hearing something they say, and then you're mapping it onto how you see the world. And then you're giving them advice from your cockpit, not Mm -hmm. theirs. And that practice of just asking questions. We had a student that actually turned around her relationship with her her son, just practicing this. This was just supposed to be a practice. She's like, this really worked. You know, he's a teenager. And that actually changed for us. So it's subtle, but I would do it. Like just ask the five questions without agenda and without leading people places.
0: I'm remembering that in one of our interactions before, I think I might've told you the story of, it's a friend of mine who does this sort of improvisational interactive program. And it's something that he does as entertainment for a corporate group. And one of the things that stands out from watching him is how, He'll bring up like 20 volunteers, and in the course of it, he'll learn their names. And even as he's moving them around to different parts of the platform doing this interactive presentation, which is customized to that group, he's still calling them by name. And there was this beautiful moment where someone asked him, how do you remember the names? What's the memory trick that you're using? And just you could feel this heartfelt moment, but also the energy in the room dropped when the answer was I listen to them when they tell me their name because I genuinely care to find out who they are because without them being part of this presentation, it's just me on that platform by myself for an hour and I'm not entertaining enough on my own.
1: Oh, that's a great, great <laughs> answer.
0: So it's it's to be yeah. in that moment and yeah. that power of the right questions at the right time, how often the sales journey is one of helping people to either go inside and make their own discoveries, create their own epiphanies. And the the playful warning is that when you start to dial in the right questions, the downfall is that people are going to like you more and people will think you're really smart because you're the one who helped them to unlock that part of their brain. And I'm curious if there's a moment that kind of stands out to you in, in any environment, Where perhaps the negotiation aspects of it went faster than you expected, went more smoothly than you expected.
1: Oh, that's really interesting. Well, what? Well, this is actually a story where I don't come out looking so good, but we were my husband and I had to move to San Diego during the you know, this past year and it was sort of crazy market-wise. So I had my Excel charts and I was doing all the data and research and I was had it all mapped out how we were gonna go to these different places. And then I had to go away for a couple of days for work. And we had to find an apartment in like three days. And like I, my method of like strategically trying to do this and contacting everyone. And like I'd done everything. My husband just like asked someone he knew, said something was a good neighborhood. He found a place. And then he wrote this like authentic letter to the guy who owned the apartment. People are getting 60 applications oh, yeah. per. And like, what did you write? You know, he just wrote something like really it didn't wasn't desperate it was just honest and clear we get this apartment and i was like wow you're the master you know <laughs> i'm the one writing the book but you know holy cow it was a really good lesson for me to see in a way how my plotting and my anxiety of like trying to quote do it right and being like why aren't you helping me with this right but actually his method of being very present and then being really authentic in the engagement with the person and I'm out of town, Right, (laughs) worked really well. And I think that's an example of, of saying, okay, just a reminder, you know, come back to being you come back to being authentic, that desperation. You know, it doesn't feel good for you. And it doesn't feel good for who's receiving it either.
0: It's that people can feel on the other side, when clearly, it's a strategy, clearly, it's a method. And, you know, bringing rapport back into it, it's that Sometimes it's a matter of do we have the rapport to then ask that hard hitting question, not for the sake of calling somebody out, but more so for the sake of moving that dialogue forward. And, you know, I I think back to a student who one time in a coaching environment, the line might have worked for Dr. Phil because he had all the previous episodes of that Mm -hmm. talk show and he had the whole resume of the audience knowing who he was. Yet to the stranger hearing, well, how's that working out for you? They kind of did that thing where they politely put the hands on their thighs, stood up, and just walked out of the office. And yeah. <laughs> how do you recommend then yeah. in that journey? Because so much of this has gone to the conversation as to connecting with people and seeing them as they are and truly and honestly listening to them. What is it that we can do in that process to perhaps expedite that and make that go more smoothly.
1: Yeah, I was such I really appreciate that example, too, about Dr. Phil, because I have definitely, you know, in in eras of my life been like, oh, that worked for them. Like, try that. And what I found, and I think what the Baltimore students helped made really clear to me is that you have to do it within your context, within your personality, and you can't you can learn from other people's strategies or what has worked for them and their personality and have an awareness of sort of what they're up you know kind of the spirit that that comes from but it's got to fit your culture it's got to fit you and if it lands like you've been reading a book like people will tell you you know so i think that your own vulnerability for me sort of an indication is when i'm I'm, I'm present and not being self-protective. Does that make sense? Yeah. Asking the question that's actually in the room. Right. That, that's it. Because that's the feeling. If you keep going around it, people know you're going around it. Or there's, yeah. something, there's something that doesn't feel right. So if you can actually ask the question straight, and when you can ask it straight, then there's not the slime around it because you're asking it straight.
0: Well, so much of this, too, you know, here's where in the shape of negotiation and the shape of, again, these other words of mediation or even persuasion, and there's overlap of all of these, it's often not just the methods, not just the techniques and principles, but also the timing of it. Mm. And I'd give a quick example, which would be, here's something that we often would do in the sales journey of the consulting program that we do, and it's- we've kind of got a system behind the scenes as to how we go about doing it, where perhaps for some people, it's more of that diagnostic, what are you currently doing? What's working? What's not working? And part of that is also from our side of things, qualifying them to make sure that there's someone we can actually help. And it kind of follows a more classical sales approach of, okay, based on that, here's the sequence that we're going to put together for you. And here's the price. But then again, sometimes based on the client journey coming in, that call might begin with, hey, is it okay if we get the business stuff out of the way ahead of time? Because here's the pricing. Here's why it's that pricing. I wanted to just put that out there so we're not spending this time guessing and worrying about that. Mm-hmm. So now what questions do you have? That's great. And it uh, it's great when it's the right strategy. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> which, which the right strategy. Well, it comes around to what are some of your tactics some of your tips for let's say understanding that timing where perhaps sometimes it might need to be something more consultative and more exploratory and other times we can build that connection faster by diving into the actual discussion by diving into the actual solutions
1: yeah so this is one story that's coming to my mind from one of the students so I just want to share it because it it's, it's showing up which is had a had a student who had to leave her spouse in an abusive situation and take her kid. And she lived in a shelter and the guy had, you know, gone, gotten help and dealt with his anger and she wanted to let him back in her life. So she went to mediation like timing. Right. And so she's like, I'm going to try and listen to the mediator, but I just can't forgive him. I just can't forgive him. She's like, I tried again. I tried again. I did everything, you know? And then she said something happened where one day she saw she thought about that her son might never know his dad. And then all of a sudden she goes, I got to let him back. Like I got to have my son know his dad. So she couldn't forgive him. Right. But there was that moment, right. That she had this shift in perspective to her son and what this would mean for him. And she was able to then create that space for them to have that relationship. And they had this great relationship for five years until the man died. And she goes, I didn't know that time was going to be so limited, but my son got to know his dad. So sometimes the timing is our vantage point, right? If you're trying to move somebody, like, I mean, if you were to analyze this, you could say, well, she got leverage over herself, right? By looking at this from the perspective of her son and then was able to find another way in. So, you know, I tip, I mean, I, I guess I learned from her too, is that if somebody's you know, not seeing it for themselves, might there be a benefit to someone else to moving ahead? And I'm sure, of course, many of your listeners, you know, thought of this too with coaching and who else would benefit from the service if you were able to do this. But if you could shave change that vantage point.
0: Well, so often it's where we get stuck inside of that pre-program story. We get stuck in the story as to here's what that is, here's what that is, or you know, one of the most valuable lessons that I've picked up in the last couple of years is to do our best to never assume intent, you know someone might call us up and you know here comes the question as to, oh, is that a group program? Is there group coaching and it's where the Jason Lynette years ago would have then launched into the longer answer <laughs> and assumed here's the reason why they're asking here's the thing that they're mm-hmm. concerned about, and the power of just the aside question of going any specific reason he asked that yes and we had this exact moment a while ago with someone who did ask that question and it was any reason you asked that. Oh, because that was one of the most helpful things of something that I did previously when I was running another business. And it's where the pre-programmed story could have gone into preventative maintenance. How do we deal with that concern, that possible objection, and then (laughs) to suddenly find out that, oh, that's different. Yeah. Or someone who negotiates fees the way that I do. I don't haggle, but money does love speed. That pricing, is that firm? Any reason you ask? Because if I wire it, you're not going to have to pay credit card fees. Oh, yeah, let me get you the information. <laughs> yeah. And we suddenly find that how often are we creating conflict from something when the conflict is assumed and not even actually there?
1: Mm-hmm. And having to explain ourselves. That question of why do you ask? When I deliver it, I'm always – careful to not have it sound like defensive or like, you know, a accusation. you know So I would I think I would probably say, just because I'm conscientious of that for myself, how it might land, I might say, before I launch into a lengthy explanation that is not addressing your concern, can you tell me why you're asking? And yeah. I can speak to that part of your question. Nuts.
0: I have to tell you what I'm doing on my computer right now. And I'm trying to type in a way that uh, doesn't get a lot of noise. Yet there's a specific document that's kind of our guide in terms of how we talk about our program, how we answer specific questions. And the official number is nine. And I probably should tell you what this is. It's the places where, almost as if like stage directions of a play, we have turned the last name of the Star Trek actor, William Shatner, into a mechanism of delivery. Okay. Because if I go... Well, is there any reason you ask that it sounds as if it's rehearsed? It sounds as if it's the automatic response. And I'm curious because just any, any reason you ask that. And if I'm looking Mm -hmm. for that Shatner moment, which apparently there was a story where I was on stage one time and I couldn't remember my lines. And then I noticed though, the audience. They were hanging on my every word. And whether that's true or not, it's a great story. (laughs) But it's to adopt that attitude, not for the sake of acting, yet we're looking for the right words. And if we have to access that, Mm -hmm. let it really be something of genuine care. You just hit on something that I'm curious to hear your opinion on, which is that oftentimes in advanced communication, they tend to say, avoid the question of why though I feel like you might have an answer as to when you choose to use the word why. Mm.
1: Like why like why do you choose to do that if I'm asking somebody why?
0: Well, why are you asking me that, Sarah? Why are you asking me no, that? No, I'm kidding. <laughs> no. No, no. In, in terms, that
1: context, that kind of why are you asking me.
0: Yeah, yeah I mean. Because it's the context, it's the tonality, mm-hmm. it's a bunch of different elements. And I'd give the example that, you know, on the client services side of things, working with a private client for coaching, I may even just call that out, you know often in the coaching space, they say you should avoid the question of why, so it because it puts people on the defense, yeah. it puts them yeah. on guard with that in mind. why are you here today? why now
1: <laughs> we definitely there's an avoidance of the why question also in research, yeah, for a number of reasons because you can go why, 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 and you can never really answer why because there's so many things that contribute to everything, and you have to be enlightened to understand cause and effect anyway and so we'd ask the how and the what like what contributed to this or how do you think you got here or what do you think might change or so that is consistent with what you're what what you're doing in coaching that we avoid the why and sometimes finding the why doesn't even get us where we want to go either like finding the root cause of something may or may not actually resolve the issue where we are today because the problem has now evolved into something else.
0: You just made half of my audience cringe and you just made the other half stand up and celebrate of the mindset of going, you can't prove the why. You can make the assumption of why. And even if you do come up with a good logical reason of why, you still have to accept at best a 50-50 chance you might be wrong.
1: Or get part of it. Yeah, I don't think why is always useless. It's just that Sometimes it leaves the students just like they are, you know, our students doing research, digging, 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 digging. <laughs> but they're trying to resolve a conflict or bring some new light on it. I'm like, all you've done is dug a big hole. And they're like, I know, get me out.
0: I'm like, well, how do
1: you think you can get out?
0: <laughs> the personal change side of things. Now I've got validation and I still have the problem. And right. that makes me slightly, this is a seamless transition towards how. I reached out to you when I saw the title of the book that you've published and went, oh, those are two amazing words you put together, transformative negotiation. So what makes negotiation transformative versus, let's say, the negotiation that others are doing?
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, what I wanted was one I had seen by doing this other or expanded approach to negotiation, that my students' lives were transforming in many cases, not just changing, not just more of same, Or less of what I don't want, but like a shift, a shift that sometimes made them cry, a shift that improved relationships, like a shift in how they felt in the world. And that was so much more exciting to me than just more of what I want, less of what I don't, which is great as a starting point, but it didn't kind of leave to the longer term fulfillment. The other was the transformative end of that. I didn't want people to replicate kind of the bad deals that they had found themselves in. Like, don't just become like everybody else and then just shit on the next person. (laughs) So, like, transform the world as you're moving up, right? Don't just get to the top and then rule the way others have ruled over you that you found distasteful. So that was the opportunity to say, you don't just have to be the good people and have nothing and then be mad at the people with everything. Be somebody who has something. But And that was a real concern to them, right? The betterment of their community and and... Those kinds of things,
0: well, I think that that hits on something that's a beautiful shift that we've been seeing, and especially the sales, the marketing, the advertising, the online marketing side of things that this dialogue that's basically all the reasons why some people would normally despise anything that reeks of sales. we've all kind of figured that out i'm I don't think you might have seen it because it went out to a different audience, but the time where I was at a conference, and it was like the ego trip of all the sports cars lined up out front, and I took a photo with the international expression of, what the hell is this crap? And then went home, (laughs) put on the sunglasses, posed next to the minivan, and
1: uh,
0: (laughs) became the best performing ad I'd ever run at that time. (laughs) But this, this step away from the ego, and even I've seen some of the people who would talk about Sales and marketing, and even specifically the categories of influence and persuasion, you can see the ones that the messaging doesn't quite align with the direction that communities have gone. That it's how do we create that win win? And it's not my exact quote, it's one that I've heard many say. It's that when the sale is done properly, it's the fact that, yes, you are solving a problem for somebody, you're providing them a solution. And it's that revelation that you owe it to them to help them make the best informed decision Mm -hmm. because that sale, it might help you for a couple of days, couple of weeks, depending on the size of your company, your business, yet that transaction could absolutely change their life. Mm -hmm. And so I hear from this approach to it in terms of negotiation, it's not the expectation of, oh, here's what I want. Here's what they want. We're going to fight and find a solution. Instead, it's creating something that's perhaps, yes, a meeting in the middle, yet leaves both parties better off than they were in the beginning.
1: Yeah. And hopefully anybody who's affected by that decision. So the two of you and whoever else, I mean, I'm sure a number of people listening are offering things that can really help improve families and workplaces and other people can really benefit from from people learning from them. So you really do want you really do want that outcome. And I also just think for long-term fulfillment for our work. I mean, you know, I sold a lot of stuff, you know, in, in the business and like to our kind of earlier conversation, how long does that high last? Right. You know, it's fun and it's good and you'll have more, have more, but it can be so fulfilling for me. I'm finding when that transformation is part of it, when you're actually seeing people do better, be happier, <laughs> and then that's more fulfilling. That sustains me as well.
0: And the book is Transformative Negotiation. We'll link to it over at the show notes at the Attract pre Clients website. I wanted to ask you specifically about something that I read just a hint of, and I will be very direct that it was earlier last week that here's the day that I had an email waiting for me, and I was playing that game where I was terrified to open it <laughs> because they were looking at the fact that as I as I moved, as we did some... Upgrades within the house that are all energy credits like solar here was the fact that one year after the other, we got some pretty significant tax refunds and they did a bit of a, you know, not quite an audit of me, but an audit of those specific refunds just to make sure everything was tracking right. And I'm resisting the urge to open up the email that's informing me what I owe. And now I can reveal that suddenly the revelation was (laughs) $0.18, $0.18, cents, <laughs> which part of me almost wants to just mail a check for $0.17 cents just to see what happens. <laughs> but uh, there's a story you've got about people who have gone through your material, your students, and something with the IRS about reducing fees.
1: Oh, yeah. It was asking about how, to, how do you reduce late fees. So I called my accountant, and I was like, can you help my students? Because I don't know the answer to their question and one of the things that was very basic, of course that we that we learned is that there is an element of asking, and the students were very good at it. You're like they taught each other like well, you call and you 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 actually ask what's possible, and is there any other way and are there exceptions and have you ever made an exception and but many are I am definitely probably more naturally in the camp of like, "Oh, I should just pay the thing, but they were actually teaching me to like call up, find out, and oftentimes you know, hey, you know, it's the price of the stamp, you know, and maybe you could just let it go. (laughs) You're right. Actually, the stamp is way more than that. It it is now.
0: Yeah. I'll just put an extra stamp in the envelope there.
1: Yeah.
0: Well, it goes back to, again, opening up those channels of communication, opening up that ability to listen. And I'd say one of the lessons that I keep having to harp on is that people do business with people. And we often would see, not so much these days, but for a while it was, I'm going to try to present myself as something bigger. Here's Mm -hmm. this corporate sounding thing, and there's no harm to being a business owner who's the solopreneur doing everything on their own. It just becomes that, well, let's use the word, dishonest element of presenting it to sound bigger than it it might be, and it Mm -hmm. creates this incongruency. And I mean, I even go off of that specific example when... We were refiling something. We caught an error, and it was my accountant going, well, you could pretend you didn't notice it and hope they don't ever catch it either. Or if you tell them, I can't guarantee it, but anyone who's ever done their own correction, I've never seen them get audited. Now that I've said that on recording, Mm. oh, crap. Uh, (laughs) And it wasn't too bad of a fee, and just it was this beautiful moment of just Again, you could sense where she was in the South. It was like, oh, honey, yeah, don't worry about this. And don't put this on your credit card. Our rates are better than theirs. And do this, yeah. do this, do that. But wait six months, then ask us to forgive it. It's like, oh.
1: Oh, yeah. And it, it's the, it I was going, went, but
0: but to go into that moment, I was going in there on the defense, ready to yeah. be difficult. And suddenly, oh, that's much better. <laughs> yeah.
1: Oh, gosh, yeah. Every day is an opportunity, isn't it? They keep learning this.
0: Well, it's it's what drew me to the title, but also the subtitle of the book being Strategies for Everyday Change and Equitable Futures, that it's too often that people would look at something and go, well, I don't have to do that in my work. I don't have to do that in my field. And what would you say from the experience in business now into teaching and also now writing this book what would you say would be that, let's say, powerful mindset, that skill set that someone can put into use immediately? To, I look at this as a way of preventing conflicts and diminishing conflicts mm-hmm. before they become massive ones.
1: Yeah, I, for for me, like the the most powerful has been to learn to just live my life as myself meaning like not putting on the armor in every room that you're going into, asking the question that you actually have, you know, and and saying, and if you're nervous to ask, you'd be like, I'm kind of nervous to ask this question. And I think people who who are have very demanding lives, you don't have time to change personalities between every one of <laughs> yeah. those anyway. And, and you can sustain it better if you can more relax in, into yourself. And then people relax too. And then they're a little more open because you're not, Gaming, you're not here, but there, you know, this person, but not this person. And that's, maybe that sounds simple, too simple or too complicated. I don't know how that lands for people, but but actually who they are and what they're already thinking is like, move with that person. Don't feel that you have to keep being different people to do the work that you're doing.
0: I might say it's that the transformative connection is the fact that it actually is a connection. I was at a conference last week and I can think of specific moments where I was talking With someone, or really, I was getting talked at by someone who was also then scanning the room to see who else they could go speak to. Oh, God. Versus, yeah. Versus, here we are in this moment and just the transparency of here's the direction that this needs to go. Here's the direction that my bigger perspective of the world is the fact that it turns out the greater values, we all kind of want the same things. We all kind of believe the same things. We just have different ways of getting there. Yeah. And it's finding that common through line, even if it may be to a different result. And even that willingness, I'd be kind of curious not to end the conversation on this, but are there moments where the appropriate version of mediation is to not meet a common solution? Oh my gosh,
1: yes. I mean, if we've learned anything in peace building (laughs) over the years, it's that it's not always a good time to bring people together. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And sometimes I have discovered and I'm, maybe people may relate, that sometimes you solve a problem too soon, you got to let it solve itself, that sometimes things get undone in, in particular ways. And our American ethos is like, you know, deal with it right away and get on top of it. But sometimes if you just give it a little space, other solutions can come in that you didn't quite think of. I mean, I even had a, we had a trash can disappear and I was like, what am I going to do? I don't want to deal with the, get another trash can. So you're borrowing someone else's for a few days and then this week it just reappeared. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know how you have a trash can reappear and disappear, but I was like, imagine I would have called the city, like had one, then I would have had two. But this has been a lesson I've been learning that sometimes you don't want to dive in right away. Let people know that you hear if there's like a problem I hear, but give yourself a minute, give. Just give things space to sort of unravel.
0: I will resist the urge to go off in the tangent of the story. The time that I chased down my cat outdoors, she's not an outdoor cat, grabbed her, brought her inside, and then, of course, saw my cat was already sitting inside waiting. (laughs) Because there's a lot of that gray tabby model, you know, there's just uh, quite quite a number of them. I'm sure Amazon is one of the places where people can go to find the book transformative negotiation. Where else can people track you down? How could they get in contact?
1: Yeah, my website is my name, sarahfetterman.com. And if you send an email, it does not go to my assistant. I am my assistant. <laughs> so I will get it. And you know, if anybody like tries any of the exercises in the book, I'd really love to hear if they work for you. It's just because that's part of my my payoff with this kind of thing is just to hear that somebody tried it and what happened.
0: And we love the power of an marketing and persuasive sales copy, what's often referred to as a curiosity hook, which is where I might say the one method you need to use when going out on social media to make sure your audience not only hears your message, but also listens all the way through to the end and you feel yourself kind of leaning in. So uh, can you give us some sort of a hook for one of those exercises that uh, they could find in there?
1: Yeah. One of them is for people who are uncomfortable making requests, there's an activity there where you make three crazy requests absolutely crazy requests of things and of people one that that doesn't put yourself at risk or doesn't put your job at risk or your marriage at risk but you you make you just make asks looking for the no and try to get the no and the weirder the request the better because you just the funniest things happen when people do this i try to get them to get the no but then they keep getting all these yeses and funny things happen in their life but there's an activity in there that talks about how to do it and that's yielded some of the most interesting results
0: Thank you for listening to Attract Pre-Sold Clients, where you get strategies proven to work in businesses around the world. I'm Jason Lynette, and if you're ready to crush the confusion of what to say and how to say it to consistently attract your dream clients, check out our free resources today at attractpresoldclients.com.